Welcome to Your Brain On by Salience Learning. I'm Karen Foster. And I'm Krista Gerhard. Here's part two of my colleagues Amy Parent and Irene Boland's conversation around adaptive learning with Dr. Bob Sadelaire of SOAR Technology, Inc. You mentioned the ways in which we can actually adapt that learning um, and accommodate those differences in learners, some really, really tangible things to do in practice. What are examples of that um, in the in the computer space where you're like, oh, this is an example of adaptive learning trying to to happen? Yeah, so there's lots of learning and instructional theories that are out there. And, uh, you know, again, I'd like to use the comparison to expert human tutors. Um, those, those people, you know, they understand how people learn, right? They have a model and whether it's innate in their head or just through practice, it's been kind of built up a set of skills and strategies that they apply in lots of different circumstances. Right. And machines don't have that same advantage. Right. So that has to be built up over time uh, or maybe by observing lots of different kinds of human tutors. Right. And so this is another way to be able to, you know, build up that expertise, um, you know, from a, a learner's perspective. Right. Um, I would expect that it's pretty transparent. Right. You know, if, um, uh, if I've never taken a particular course before and now I'm taking that course, it, you know, the content gets presented to me, I might make the assumption that everybody saw that content, right? But it might have been tailored specifically for me. It might have been that uh, the pace was tailored specifically for me. Uh, it might have been that, uh, you know, some items were skipped because it knew my about what my prior knowledge was in that particular domain and decided, well, we don't need to tell Bob about how to do his ABCs. He already knows how to spell. So we'll kind of proceed to that, uh, that level. So again, the consideration for tailoring uh, every, every experience uh, even with the same learner, right? You know, so learner might come in, uh, you know, there are physiological differences in you every day. Um, I, I eat differently. I sleep differently. Um, right? I might have different things going on in my life that affect my engagement or concentration. And so my ability to learn is also influenced. And, you know, being able to recognize that. And I think human, again, human tutors really know how to do that. Right. So they know when to, okay, Hey, there's diminishing returns here. It's time to stop. Uh, machines tend to, Hey, it's just going to present until it's done. The other thing that human tutors do that uh, machines are not great at, but are getting better at is uh, what's called mixed initiative. All right. So this is a relatively simple concept that happens all the time between a learner and a tutor or even in a classroom, right? It's not always the teacher that initiates an action, right? There might be a question. There might be a comment from a student that now drives some learning by other students because it clarified something that maybe they were timid about asking. 
Do you think that learners are more likely to want to ask a system than a person? Like they would be less shy about querying a system versus asking their tutor or their teacher? You know, is, is it easier or harder to look for help? Yeah, I think there's empirical evidence that uh, in with one-to-one tutoring, uh, with adaptive instructional systems, that adaptive instructional systems get a lot more questions, right? There's a, the students are a lot less timid about asking. They don't feel like there's going to be some repercussion from their peers because there aren't any peers, right? It's not a classroom. It's just a one-to-one interaction. And that one-to-one interaction is going to be, you know, largely positive, depending on, you know, what the learning theory is. But I've seen too many learning theories that, you know, weren't focused on being, you know, inspiring, encouraging, engaging, credible, you know, all the, all the important uh, words that we think of when we think about good instruction. When you think about learning theories or models, what have you seen in adaptive learning um, in terms of learning theories or learning models that really works well or that really works poorly? So if someone was making a decision about how to frame up their approach to adaptive learning, Mm -hmm. what path would be a good path? Yes. So and are you thinking about this from the perspective of a developer, somebody who's a developer of an adaptive instructional system, how they would design it? or I think even before that, if we were, for example, a, a director of learning at a corporation and we knew that we were getting the opportunity now to do adaptive learning and we wanted to situate it in some good theory or good frameworks and models, What's the thinking that should go along with it as they're considering um, bringing adaptive learning on board? Yeah, so one thing I would do, right, I'm, you know, my, I've got a heavy research background. So one of the things that I would do is go out and look for, you know, comparables, right? And just like the real estate market, right? <laughs> if you're going to buy a house and you want to know how much the house costs, Right. It's the same thing. You're going to go out and buy a capability or you're going to create a capability. There's a cost to that. So, you know, thinking about what the return on investment is for that particular system and how you're going to go about it. I'd want to understand, Okay, are there, you know, um, reference implementations, you know, that use that particular learning theory? Right. And how successful were they? Right. Is there data reported out on studies who've used that? Uh, And do I feel confident about that? And, uh, you know, so and this is one of the reasons why I think there's an important tie between industry and academia. Right. So academia can spend some time thinking about early application in the in the technology maturation process of a theory, right, and how it could be engineered and applied. And uh, when they do that, it's important for them to be able to show and define, hey, this is effective. And so there are studies that go along with it. And uh, so I would look for those first, right? I would look for, you know, successful frameworks. I would look for open frameworks first, see what's out there. Hey, what can I get for free? and then build on that in terms of uh, capability. And you might want to incrementally build it, right? You might want to think, you know, think, think small and then, you know, and then uh, prove these things out and make sure that, uh, you know, 
whoever the training audience is in, in that particular organization that you're trying to support, that it fits that audience, right? It's all about the learner, right? And um, this is one of the reasons why I think like population models are important. It might seem like, hey, you're just kind of, you know, you know you're kind of painting this map that, hey, there's the, the average person does this and the average person does that. It's more than that. It's also the range of how, you know, what the, you know, what are important variables in defining what a learner is and, you know, what's the range of those variables. That's really important to consider and how that fits into whatever theory that you're going to pick. Um, I personally like, you know, I spent time looking at uh, lots of different theories um, and strategies, right? Strategies or policies are a bit different. So a learning theory might be a whole underpinning capability uh, to interact with a learner in a particular way, like uh, Merrill's component display theory, right? So um, this is a theory been around probably 30 years, maybe more, right? Uh, you know, originally used with human tutoring and then kind of migrated in, into use, mostly in GIF, the Generalized Intelligent Framework for Tutoring was really kind of the first to really embrace that in terms of machine tutoring. And uh, it talks about, you know, rules, uh, examples, recall, and practice. So rules are things like, you know, if you're going to learn about, you know, baseball, you want to know what a bat is, a ball, a base, what home plate is, where left field is, uh, you know, uh, if you hit a pop fly and somebody catches it, you're out. Just simple kinds of uh, principles that are tied to that particular environment. Um, examples, you want to see somebody actually doing certain tasks that are related to learning that game. So you might want to see a batter or multiple batters, how they stand in the box and, you know, how they swing the bat, how they hold the bat, right? So that's a body of knowledge now, rules and examples. And in order to be able to apply those as a learner, you have to remember them, right, and recall them for use. So um, it's going to be, you know, important to uh, be able to put those things into practice, which is the final stage, which is, hey, I got all this instruction, I took information in, I understand how to use that information or apply it, and I can recall it when I need it, uh, pretty much on demand. And so I think I can be successful, and now I go and I deliberately practice in order to hone my skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Brain On. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Krista Gerhard. And I'm Karen Foster. And we'll see you next time.